Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and it's a real pleasure to be joined by Elliot Rayner. Elliot is a leading chief marketing officer. He spent more than seven years at the Adidas Global Headquarters. He specializes in product marketing and innovation, and also he's developed products for things like the World Cup, the Football World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, and many other areas. He spent a number of years as well, I know, in Amsterdam uh, for ASICS, um, developing global running apparel uh, and developing sustainable products for things like the uh, Tokyo Olympics. And also, um, I know he took a big leap into the world of technology with, with both feet. And he's led marketing teams and build strategies for companies such as Babbel, and really interested in getting into a discussion today about his latest role and his current CMO tenure uh, with a company called Arian, which are doing some really interesting and engaging things when it comes to sport, technology, and content. So, Elliot, you're really welcome to the show today. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Thanks, Simon. That was a thanks for the invitation and also for the introduction. Really happy to uh, spend some time talking uh, talking with you today. Well, thank you. And um, so, look, you decode this relationship between movement, performance, uh, injury prevention, I suppose. But you're doing all this through science, AI. So can you share some information about your current role, the company that I've mentioned, and what exactly is involved here? Because to me, it appears as a complete ecosystem that's being built here, which touches on technology sports you know footwear and ai so maybe over to you to explain it and give us a little bit of a, a flavor of what you're doing there sure yeah that's a, that's a good way to uh, to think of it i mean really so arian is, a, is a, what we think of as a deep tech sports brand and really what that means is that we develop um, hardware and software innovations and technology all of which help us decode human movement. So decoding human movement is our mission. And what we mean by that is that our research has shown that as we're collecting movement data, it's shown to us that human movement is incredibly unique, almost like a fingerprint. So, um, you know, if you get a thousand different people all to run in our technology, we collect that data and we can collect your digital foot strike, we can predict your bio load, all things which are kind of like a unique signature for you. Uh, and highlights your uniqueness of movement. And out of that creates a number of possibilities and opportunities. Um, one of the easiest ones to understand is our current uh, product, Arian Hub. Well, how Arian Hub works is the next time you wanna go in and buy a new pair of running shoes, you go to the store, you can choose two or three of your favorite pairs, whether it's because of the color, the brand, the technology, or your previous experience. And you slide in one of our two millimeter insoles, which are completely undetectable and go for a run at your own pace, either on a treadmill or outside, it's completely mobile. And with only 50 steps, our AI engine will then collect all of the data and be able to match the perfect shoe to your unique running identity. And to do that, we'll present to you a digital flyer you'll get by email, which you can keep forever, which will list all of your specific metrics, all of your digital foot strike, your predicted injury risk, everything you need to make a better decision with your human movement. So that's what we really do is, is try and use our technology to give people a better understanding of themselves and, and their movement patterns. So this is sort of 
is it sportswear brand agnostic meaning these technology insoles fit into whatever sports shoe works for you or that you think works for you and then I can do the run I can either do it on a treadmill in the store or I can just you know do my usual run and all this data will be fed back is that correct that's right and it's even it's even deeper than that because sports shoes is just the area that we're attacking now um but you know we can go into any shoe so it's, it's it doesn't have to be sports related if you wanted to see how you're moving uh, at work or at home or uh it, for health reasons the the potential is there to collect data from your feet uh but the sports is where we've seen some of the biggest opportunities and you know when you think about running shoes it's you know, it's really, they have a dramatic influence on how you run. You know, the shoes we wear really influence our movement. And yet when we choose them, um, sometimes we can do it quite frivolously. You know, we, we might choose something to match our outfit or pick the brand that we like the most. And really, um, it should be a little bit deeper than that because it affects us so deeply. So this this is what it allows. I think most people are aware of a gate analysis and and going to get some expertise from from a store owner, maybe a running speciality shop who can who can really give you some more time. And what this does is is it's just a weapon for those guys uh, and to to help them tell that story a bit more visually. Uh, and to also keep that connection because obviously once you leave the store, uh, you've only got what they've told you. But actually, we can create that digital connection because you'll always have it with you. A bit like I like to compare it to when you get a suit fitted. You know, you've got your measurements and you could go into any store in the world and then get a new suit fitted. This is the same, but dynamically. So now we know how you move. You own that information and you can use that to make a number of different important decisions, whether it's buying your next running shoes, signing up for a marathon, changing your running technique. Or what's exciting is just scratching the surface of what else that, that could mean. Yeah, and having looked at some of the data that that you guys can share with the consumer, the buyer, mm -hmm. uh, and as you say, whether it's, you know, you're walking around a hospital in, in your job mm -hmm. or you're walking around an office or or you're an athlete, you know, or you're somebody that's just, you know, on a bit of a, a health kick. The data that you guys are sharing is very in-depth. So mm -hmm. could you maybe just tell me a little bit more about that engagement? Because you, you send this to the user, right? You send this data to them. Yeah, absolutely. So so if you look at the hardware, it's it's eight nanotech sensors that sit right under your, your insole. So every time the slightest movement of one of your toes, your heel, uh, it's sent uh, to us. But obviously we have it by time. So we can basically see exactly how your foot's moving inside the shoe. What's interesting about that, we also have an IMU, so which gives you a 3D movement. So whenever your foot's not on the ground, we can also tell you exactly what your, your body's doing. And using AI, once we have that information, it's very easy to correlate um, what the body's doing. So we get a really nice picture of your body's movement just from these individual sensors within your shoes. This is all research that we've been working with with Maastricht University. We've worked on a couple of papers with them who they show us it's um, remarkably accurate. And, and that's another way to kind of look at the product is that we these machines exist already in, in, in labs, in some of the best labs in the world. When I work for, for Adidas and ASICS, they've got these incredible lab facilities. They look like James Bond uh, kind of areas where they're working on the next technology. But actually, you know, we're running in real life on trails and around and usually test subjects within these labs or modern athletes uh, competing at the top of their level. What Arian allows you to do is collect that same lab quality 
um, data, but from within a store, um, you know, at work or, or doing a marathon. So it's really allowing us for the first time to capture a lot of really interesting data, not just in the lab, but anywhere in the world. Yeah, and I suppose I can see how the sort of the top athletes in the world, they have this mm -hmm. technology available to them. Yeah. But, you know, most people don't. So yeah. what you guys are doing is truly remarkable and groundbreaking. And it has this sort of global um, pathway because there's so mm -hmm. many applications for it when you start to think to it. And, you know, human movement and being able to share that data is so, so important. Uh, and I want to come back to that because I want to come back to a little bit about engagement and mm -hmm. storytelling and, and connectivity. But before we do that, you mentioned that you spend some time in Adidas, Adidas uh, over in their global headquarters. Now, I think you were there for more than about seven years. So mm -hmm. what was it like working in the global HQ for Adidas? That must have been a, an interesting role for you. Yeah, it, it was really exciting. It was the very beginning of my career and uh, I, I came into what I thought was probably the most exciting place to work in the world in my mind, which was working on football uh, right leading into the uh, 2010 South Africa World Cup. So basically working on the development um, with the next products for the football teams. So from, you know, France, um, you know, all of these major football teams. And what was really great is to see basically worked with just really great mentors. Um, some of the people there were really incredible product marketers, incredible storytellers. And when you think about a football jersey, you know, it's, it's such an emotional product. People get married in them, they, they sleep in them, they treasure them, they hand them down, which is essentially a piece of plastic. Um, so it's amazing to see the, the work when it comes to creative briefs, when it comes to go to market, when it comes to launches, everything that's gone in it. It was a really great education into product uh, because it showed me how you, you can take something quite simple and with the right story and the right approach from a product marketing point of view turn it into something that's 50 times more valuable and uh, has much more of an impact so for me it was just a fantastic education to to the world of product marketing now you you've kind of developed an awful lot in this world of product marketing which brings me on to the next thing I, i'd love you to share with our audience because um you're part of the product marketing alliance and not just that but you you're an expert in residence with with them and the the pma the product marketing alliance it really is i suppose at this stage the world's largest product sort of marketing community maybe if i'm right <laughs> in saying that yeah. and i know that you share a lot of insights and practices and courses there to help people understand that roadmap, understand that communication strategy, which is really, you know, an interesting point for a lot of our listeners and our audience watching and listening to this episode. So could you maybe unpack some key areas of communication strategy and the type of the type of activities that you're involved in with the Product Marketing Alliance? Because you really get under the skin of connecting with the audience there, don't you? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the Product Marketing Alliance has, has been a, an amazing resource always for me. I, the way I got connected with them is that I wanted all of my team to, to take the PMA certification. Product marketing is, um, it's really interesting because it's, in my experience, it's different to everywhere I've been. 
you know, everywhere I go that they do it a little bit differently. And also it seems to be uh, evolving and, and growing and accelerating. So I think it's a, it's a, when it comes to learning and development, it's a key area where not just having a certification, but having a community of people where you can reach out and share best practice and frameworks is really beneficial. And, and that's how I, I really got involved is that um, when I made that connection, they, they asked me to, to really speak about uh, an area that I've always been really passionate about of product marketing. And I, I see it as really the, the core of product marketing, which is storytelling. Um, it was actually during the lockdowns where, like everyone else, I was extremely bored and, and needed something, a creative project to, to keep going. And I noticed that my whole career had always been writing down notes um, about how about storytelling and about product marketing. And it also had the opportunity to work with incredible storytellers. So it was during that time I, I sat down, I, I rang a few of the people and I asked them about their storytelling approach, their processes, what worked for them. And, and all of that information that I brought together was something that I brought to the to Product Marketing Alliance to build this product storytelling certification. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been developing with them. And really the, the way to, the best way to describe it is the PMA has researched that um, I think 60% um, of product marketers see storytelling as a top three skill, which when you think of how many skills from positioning, messaging and GTM, storytelling is quite high. But when you ask them how many have studied the science of storytelling, it's, it's incredibly low. And so it's one of the few areas that everyone agrees is really important, but nobody has really spent a lot of time learning what makes a great story, how to build one, what's the science, what's the frameworks behind it. And, and really that's what the course is about is giving storytelling that same kind of um, respect and focus to break it down like anything else to understand that there's things that we can use to make sure our stories stay on track, make sure that they resonate, make sure that they're consistent. Uh, and that's kind of what I do in the storyteller certification. It's, and it's still, it all just comes from me being really fascinated about it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Elliot. And look, throughout your career, it's clear that you have a passion for not just storytelling, but also innovation. Um, so when it comes to, you know, brands telling their story, you know, an individual has to help them craft that story. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of what you teach and a lot of what you share helps people do that. But would you mind, and I'm, I'm not asking you to give away the secret sauce here, but mm -hmm. could you maybe just share with us uh, some examples where global content creates that engagement, creates that community, helps to create action and activity? And what are some of the sort of areas that people should really look at uh, and maybe some of the areas that people often get wrong. I mean, when I ask you that, what sort of springs to mind? Sure. So once I started collecting all of this information, it became clear to me that it kind of formed around three key pillars of product marketing, which is based on Aristotle's triangle of persuasion. So Aristotle believed that in order to effectively persuade someone, you needed the right combination of logic, emotion, and credibility. And I think for storytelling, which is basically a form of influencing someone or, or persuading someone, that's completely true. And so what I try to do is to help product marketers see how they can push and boost these three different areas. For logic, usually what it's all about is structure. Uh, how do we actually structure that information to deliver it? Um, I think a lot of the time when I ask product marketers what their biggest challenge is with, with storytelling, it's that scary blank page of not knowing where to start. But actually, there are hundreds of templates that exist um, that I use in the course, which show actually 
a lot of the work has been done for us. You don't have to start uh, completely from scratch. There are, there are frameworks like Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey or Kurt Vonnegut's Man in the Hole template that we can just lay down in front of our team and go, okay, let's, let's run this through this template. Maybe it's terrible. Uh, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe we need a different template. But if you start ideating and experimenting, which is what product marketers do, you'll usually end up finding something that connects or resonates. Um, the, the second is emotion. So once you've got that structure, how do you, can you effectively emotionally connect and, and land with someone? For me, this is what product marketers do best because it's built on understanding the audience. And really in a company, there should be no one who better represents and understands the audience more than product marketers. And this, what I try to do is push the idea of customizing your conflict. So find out what is the antagonist to your user and make sure that's in your story because usually that's what creates that conflict, that emotion that makes you get those chemicals and, and gets it going. So I always quote that when information is delivered as part of a story, it increases memory retention by 20 times. And that is because of a, a influx of dopamine and that dopamine is usually connected by that conflict of the story. Finally, it's that third pillar, which Aristotle always recognized as the, as the most important foundation, which is credibility. It's the hardest things for brands to do. You imagine now um, when I worked for Adidas, there was like seven brands in the market all telling a similar story. Now, when you work in SaaS or B2B, there's about a thousand brands all telling the same thing. So how can you cut through that noise? And usually the best way to do that is to deliver something very credibly and telling your story in an authentic way. And usually in, in that part of the course, I rely on business cases and uh, business purpose and better, whereas emotion, it's understanding the audience. Credibility is better understanding your brand and who you are and speaking from that perspective. So really it's, those are the three core areas, but more than anything, it's just about getting product marketers to understand the terminologies um, understand uh, the frameworks so that they can treat storytelling with the same respect and understanding that you might do performance marketing or all of these other areas. Uh, a good example is if you ask a product marketer, why did this performance marketing campaign work better than that one? It's very clear because we have well-defined KPIs and frameworks and, and, and past experiences. But if you ask a product marketer, which was the, uh, the best story and, and why was this story better than the other one? it already becomes a little bit vague and they have it harder to break down. But if you've got that terminology from the course, it makes it easier to understand what works and what doesn't. And you can start experimenting. And I think that's what product marketers do best. Yeah, I really like that, Elliot, because it, it sort of breaks it down, not just from an innovation point of view, but it also gives you that language, that terminology, exactly. um, and it gives you that framework so you can be as granular as you can in maybe other areas of marketing or storytelling. Mm -hmm. So you can really understand what's happening. And the other thing that springs to mind, and I'll come back to this, um, but you mentioned sort of the, the, the antagonist in the story. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was really about sort of tapping into human emotion. For and sure. in the world of AI, uh, it, it's really interesting to see how human emotion plays such an important role mm -hmm. in storytelling, in content. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a second or yeah. two, if that's okay. Because the other thing I wanted to ask you um, is about, you, you spent quite a, quite a bit of time at a company called Babbel. Mm -hmm. And for people who may not be familiar with Babbel, but anybody who's tried to learn a modern language, uh, or a language from around the world, they've probably come across this app uh, in the App Store or the Google Play Store. 
and I know that you worked there and it, I think at the time it was around 10,000 hours of sort of language learning I think it was around 14 languages everything mm -hmm. from Spanish to Indonesian and you know everything in between but the question I've got for you about that experience is when it when it comes to global content particularly for content storytelling whether it's through products or apps or, you know, whether it's through your work as Arian at the moment, where you're having to talk to retailers, end users, healthcare, life science, sports people, uh, people working in an office, as we were mentioning. And then you layer on this complexity of language and culture that must have a, a really big impact on how you tell a story from your experience at Babel and from everything that we've discussed so far. Could you maybe share a little bit about international content and engaging with different cultures, communities, languages? Because you, you've definitely got a lot of that experience throughout your career. Yeah, it's um, the Babel example is, a, is a, a really nice case study for that. It's a really interesting brand. And, um, you know, I mentioned that statistic about memory retention from stories being 20 times. You can imagine that there's no place more useful for that than using a uh, learning a language. Um, what's interesting about Babel is that they employ um, dozens of didactic experts, so experts in just the science of uh, of learning, uh, which is a great experience to, to to learn from them. And they employ all of those tactics within their content. Um, so that's why if you're studying a Babel course, um, most of the content isn't. Um, completely neutral, just random lines. You're usually learning it in, okay, a weekend in Berlin or going out for dinner or uh, uh, at the travel agency, all of these areas that would be in our normal life, which is basically telling a story of two people going through a conversation. And it's just a very subtle way of, of adding a story into content that ultimately is going to make it a lot easier for us to learn that language. So that's one area that they employ that. What's super interesting about Babel is that most people not, might not realize is that it's not just, um, you know, getting 14 languages and, and converting them to English, but every single one of those areas is customized. So the course for the Spanish person learning English is very different to the Russian person, to the French person, to the English, from all the different, uh, from German. And so, it really breaks down as incredibly customized and that's what I think brings some of that benefit to that area. Really what it takes is, is a very good understanding of the audience and a very good understanding of, um, of languages itself. We spoke a little bit before about credibility and I think Babel has a, done a very good job as building itself up as this credible language brand which um, a lot of it's handcrafted, uh, expert linguists, expert didactic experts to show, give people the confidence that if I'm gonna spend a hundred hours learning something, I wanna make sure it's the best and proven uh, and, and way to do it. And Babel does a really good job, not just designing their content, but the way they deliver it as well in a really strong storytelling framework. Yeah, thanks for joining the dots there, Elliot. I do appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And look, I wanna come back to, AI, because we've kind of skirted around it a little bit as we've been talking. Mm -hmm. Now, AI, it's a very big part of what you do in your current CMO role um, when it comes to the technology. But AI is really impacting storytelling, isn't it? And product marketing in a, in a big way. And I suppose I'd love to hear your views on artificial intelligence in terms of 
where we're at now, how it's used today, but also maybe a little bit about where you see it going in the future, because one way or another, it's it's already in the workflow, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I I, I just came back from a, a conference specifically about uh, marketing and artificial intelligence, and it was really interesting. We saw a number of case studies and people presenting um, their ideas, their fears and predictions and things like that. Ultimately, I think whenever you get a major advance like this, it, it splits people to the extremes where people thinking it's, ah, it's, it's just the next thing and it'll go away to people saying everyone's going to lose their jobs. And usually it's, it's somewhere in, in the middle. The, the way I see it is it's completely revolutionized the way that I work already um, for the better. There, there are a number of different ways that I use ChatGPT or use um, other AI solutions to help improve my process or my team's process. And for me, it's a, it's a tool which um, creates a lot of possibilities. Ultimately, one of the examples given at the conference was this idea of Kasparov's law which uh, using the example of the, the chess master Kasparov, who was first defeated AI playing a game of chess and, and then lost and what was learned from that. And one of the experiments that came after that was this idea of Kasparov's law, which proved that if you gave someone with a lower chess ability uh, a, a, a computer with AI to help them assist and play the game, who had a very good process and relationship with the computer or a very high chess playing uh, person, also with a computer but less interested in it and, and hadn't had time to uh, develop with it the, the person with the less chess skill would almost always win and it was used as an example of it's not the idea that ai is going to um, completely take over but those people who really understand how to um, bring ai into a process um, are going to be the ones that um, can really improve their marketing and, and their efficiency over the next years that's really where I see it is that it's going to give smaller companies um, the ability to compete with, with larger companies. I think we're going to see a lot of disruption uh, because of that. But also, I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it as well. Um, one example came up of junior managers. When I came into Adidas, like we talked about, I knew nothing and I relied on doing all of that work at the bottom to understand the basics and the ropes of the business. And now we might be moving away from that where junior copywriters will not be writing, they'll be prompting. Junior researchers won't be researching, they'll be prompting research. And making sure that um, although you're taking advantage of all of these new tools, the training and the learning and development is still being handed down throughout the organization to make sure that those people are not losing out on a lot of essential uh, experience that they need to go forward. Yeah, thank you, Elliot. Um, just last question on that. So obviously we've seen some pushback from brands, global brands, mm -hmm. because of the intellectual property, the data privacy elements of content, and particularly in this world of product marketing that we're talking about today, um, you know, just training somebody else's public engine on your corporate data isn't necessarily the best thing. Where are you on that sort of viewpoint at the moment? Yeah, I, I really think it's it's going to be the Wild West for, for a little while. Uh, one thing that we talked about at uh, this conference is, you know, you look at social social media when it first came out and, and it was, there's things that we did then that we would never do now. We created GDPR for that exact reason because uh, we needed some governance and regulation to protect us. 
but there's also other things like things like dark mode exist now back then we never would have thought that we needed dark mode because we never thought we'd be spending hours and hours addicted to our phones uh, and so little things like that that if we could go back there now what would we say to 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 us then to make sure social media had a uh, less impact on on society and i think it's going to be the same for ai ultimately um it would be nice if the regulation was already here to 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 help us along but it's going to take time and i think ultimately what's going to have to happen is individuals and brands are going to have to experiment to what they're comfortable with when it comes to sharing their information um, what parts of the organization become more ai dominated um, they're going to have to do an experiment for now and ultimately in the next five years we're going to see where we end up and it's it'll become more controlled but without a doubt it's something that I personally will be dedicating a lot of my own time to getting very good at it I'm quite excited just like when I um, I never learned about digital marketing when I was doing my bachelor so I took time to make sure to to, to come into that world and I see this exactly the same as that this is a big uh, really exciting development and most people working in marketing I think should should try and take some time set it aside to to learn it to experiment with it and because it's going to be a huge part of our, our, our lives for a long way uh, to come. So um, Elliot as we come to the end of our time here today there's two things I just want to ask you before we wrap up and one of them is um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience or is there anything around product marketing or content engagement that you'd like to leave us with? And secondly, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Sure, of course. Um, for the first part, one thing I always try to get across in my workshops is helping product marketers understand that they're natural storytellers. So I always ask the question, who in the room feels like a, a natural storyteller? And most people keep their hands close to the ground. But once they've studied the science of storytelling, they become a lot more confident. One way they can do that is combining a few of the things that we already talked about today, which is AI and storytelling. So I sometimes use my stories with ChatGPT and get them to compare them against some of the storytelling frameworks that I use. And that's a really good way to, for me to get a sounding board on my latest stories, but it's also a great way for someone to get a little bit of confidence when it's experimenting uh, with storytelling. For your second part, um, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so on, on LinkedIn. More than happy to connect to people about stories, um, the science of storytelling or AI. Uh, and, and always love to, to learn about what stories people are building or their approach to that. And if you want to explore that a little bit deeper, of course, you can yeah, do one of the workshops or sign up for the certification on the Product Marketing Alliance website. Well, that brings us nicely to the end of today's show with Elliot Rayner. Please make sure to tune in again to see and or listen to the next Vista Talk show where once again we'll be discussing interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Elliot. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, Simon.